how is God do it? Yeah. So hope. Um, we're looking this morning. Uh, I put there a mountain of solutions. Um, it's a just just firing back. Um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I love this word hope. I, at one stage in my life, I didn't know. I thought it was one of the most hopeless words that was created until I discovered the living hope, which is Jesus. And then my life was hope-filled, and it hasn't stopped. And uh, so it's with pleasure that I uh, attempt to do something uh, in regard to hope. Now, this is... Um, Next weekend, we're going to New Zealand. So that's, uh, I don't know if we'll be up on a mountain like that. But um, it's a vision, that, this is in Isaiah 2 verse 1, uh, that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw a vision. Uh, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth and even more than Mount Kutha. Um, it will be raised above other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. It's interesting to know that in Israel, um, in, in Mount Zion is not exactly a high mountain. Uh, so we see here met metaphorically or, or eschatologically, in other words, somewhat the, the prophet here, Isaiah, is seeing in the spirit, and he's seeing something that is probably far bigger than Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's the whole world. Uh, it will be raised above the hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. And we used to sing a song in the 70s, Come and let us go, didn't we? Some of us might remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, great song and um, talking about this amazing hope that we share when we come together as, as God's people. We share it as we worship and sing together. We taste of this. It says, there he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion and his word will go out from Jerusalem. So there's a from this place of, of ascension where people come to the mountain of the Lord, there is a, a learning, there's an experiencing of God himself, and there's a distribution of that amazing hope or that amazing news. And um, um, just the, I'll just mention before I read on there, that is a, um, a, a piece of art in which if you go to New, New York, and go in the United Nations Gardens, on, I think on the north side, you'll see this picture here uh, of, a, um, of a man with a hammer and a sword, turning that sword into a, a plowshare. And um, it, was, um, it was a 1959 gift from the Soviet Union by artist Vivgogny uh, Vichutich. So I... I'm sure that's the wrong pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> so they'll hammer their saws into plowshares and their spears, or they'll melt, as, some, as it happens in some places, melt their machine guns and artillery uh, into farm equipment, and, uh, and nation will no longer fight against nation 
nor train for war anymore. And wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be nice? We live in our society, our world, which uh, the news um, continually uh, streams in of, of this, uh, of violence and uh, brutality. And it's not only in uh, the Ukraine, you know, it's in many places in Australia. It's in homes, sadly, um, where, where violence, uh, where people are at war in themselves um, and with one another. And then it says, come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so there's a call here. In fact, the context of this passage, as was mentioned in that uh, Bible project, it's in the context of, of judgment. In other words, God is giving Israel the good news, but all around it is bad news because he's unhappy with what he sees. And when we look at a world around us, and it's something we don't like to mull on or think on, it's a world of, of violence and injustice. It's a world that we sometimes wonder we'd rather get out of. And uh, uh, the trends in our, in our world today are quite concerning. And um, there are ways around being concerned. Uh, you can waft off into some sort of ethereal state somehow, you know, to get out of it or become obsessed in something uh, to, to avoid it, um, a hobby or something. But uh, nevertheless, the reality of our world is there. And do you think God likes it, or do you think God tolerates it? He, he doesn't. He doesn't want it, and he wants this to end, the world we see. And it's what, a, what a, um, an indictment, you know, there, here we have the Soviet Union giving... The United States, the United Nations, a symbol uh, straight out of, of this passage, and yet they're at war with the world now. It's, it's a, such a shameful thing. And, you know, it's, we could point the finger at Russia, but we could point the finger back at ourselves too. The war is something that we celebrate, that we enter into, and, and there's, there's two great powers in the world, one of, one of uh, asserting... Our, our will or our dominance over others, that kind of power. And there's the, the notion of love, which we celebrate at Christmas, which as we begin Advent, we are focusing on the, the great compassion, the love of God who condescends to come and to help us and deliver us. Okay. Well, in Daniel, I just, it reminds me of the book, in the book of Daniel, how Daniel gets this vision and of course, with Isaiah, it's very pictorial. Um, Isaiah is seeing these big pictures of, of a new world, of a new age. And when we look in the, you know, in Genesis, at Genesis 1, we see the creation of earth. Uh, Isaiah alerts, alerts to this new creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, the Bible finishes in Revelation with this, uh, passage to do with, behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, a new world. And we know that that's what we as, as followers of Jesus look forward to. We look for a new heavens and a new earth at his coming because he has come. But when he comes again, he's not coming as a savior to pay the penalty for our, all of our sins and all our shortcomings 
and to try and rectify humanity. He's coming as Lord and Judge. He's coming as Lord to usher in a whole new age and uh, a whole new reality. And that's um, what we live for. That's why we can live with hope even when death, even when tragedy, even when things go wrong, even when elections go the other way. We are not phased by these things. When we see things going in directions in life, in society, that alarm us, that concern us, that disturb us, that keep us awake, uh, that make us sick, as it were, we know that we have a living hope that prevails through that and over helps us to overcome. And uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful, exciting thing. And Daniel saw this. Um, he saw this great edifice of human empires and through the ages. And, and God gives him the interpretation to, to describe what is happening throughout human history. And at the end of it, this little stone comes in and it suddenly this huge edifice of human history is dissolved. And it becomes like, like the wind. It becomes so fine that the wind can blow away this dust. And we see here a great mountain. It's interesting here. We see another mountain filled the whole earth. And I believe this is the mountain that Isaiah saw. This mountain that filled the whole earth. It's the mountain of the Lord. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And as we've said... The, Often we quote, wait on the Lord, but of course it's the same word, hope in the Lord. We will renew our strength. And may this be a word for us. Maybe this be a word for you, speaking into your spirit. That, that they will, it says, the, even, the, even the young grow weary and tired, but those who wait on the Lord will renew, or hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar like wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And I think... We're in days, and I don't know about you, but COVID, the COVID years uh, are fatiguing years. And a lot of people and a lot of, of society is fatigued. And, uh, uh, and yet the promise here is that, it, uh, that we will rise up, we will soar, and uh, we will walk, we will run, and, uh, and we will overcome. And the, the scripture that we've been focusing on uh, in past years, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So we can see in the very best of God's purposes. And the um, prophets were often relating, they were relating either before or during or after an exile, a time of persecution, a time in which they were driven from their homes and, and their lives went awry. But God showed himself to be present with them and, uh, and ready to give them a future wherever they were. And the promise of God to us here and now is that it's not just pie in the sky by and by, but it is steak on our plate while we wait. It is, um, you know, it's reality now. And that's why we're here, because we actually press into this hope. It's a living hope, because our hope, is not a word, it's a person. It's a living, risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. Wow. So the living hope of Christ in you because we live in a world of eroded hope. I mentioned some of that. 
There's, it's a world of individual and social meaning, meaninglessness. It seems that we, the more we go on and the more societies walk away from God, the more meaningless life becomes. And you will be meeting uh, people. Uh, you'll be talking to people. And it may be you that, that feels life is meaningless. There's a meaninglessness about life. And when things go against us, there is that sense. We all are faced with that sense of hopelessness, that sense of loss. Um, and life assails us. Life is like that. Um, but it's not the end. And so in this, uh, in this world of, of meaninglessness, um, uh, we, there are answers that we'll be looking at. There's also um, political and economic power play, which I've talked to, you know, mentioned. We see this in the world politically and uh, nationally. There's all sorts of power plays that are happening now, and we are part of Australia. It's something that's concerning us. It's something that we're told we should be concerned about. And uh, uh, I think Australian TV is uh, mostly sport. Uh, the news is mostly sport, so I think we've got a, uh, a national pastime of trying to avoid reality through sport, sad to say. Um, I enjoy sport, uh, but we're not supposed to hide in it. <laughs> okay. um, what about ecologically? God made the creation. He created us, but the creation is also in trouble, and uh, we are bombarded with increasing scientific information that we're in trouble. But when you walk around, when you look around, actually coming back from London, um, London is a messy, messy place um, compared with, I mean, I've been to Africa, but coming back to Brisbane, it's pretty cool here. It's pretty tidy as a city. So good on you, Brisbaneites. <laughs> People are picking up paper, whatever. But, um, you know, ecologically, we are in trouble and we're having to, to bring all sorts of reforms, reforms to try and change the trajectory of our planet Earth. And uh, I'm flying over to New Zealand. I don't know if that helps the, the air, you know, the atmosphere, and I, whether one day we'll have to stop doing that or just convert to electricity and, uh, and go by air. But whatever it is, um, we... We are responsible. And so we're in a world that we are part of, that we are participating in, that we're voting in, that we're campaigning in, that we're doing our bit in, whatever role in life we, we do. But it's, it's full of meaninglessness. It's full of political and economic power play. It's full of ecological degeneration. And it's also full of theological disengagement as well. And, um, you know, the, um, I think that the, even the, the, what I've been discovering is even in our, our, our uh, system of, of, of worship and, and theology, I've, uh, I was just looking for some notes, but they're not here. So I'll just have to go without notes. <laughs> you know, that... Um, with, with the 17th century um, moves in theology and the, the uh, Renaissance and, and the, the, you know, with music and art and design of churches and things like that, 
What happened in church life that there has been this objectification of God? In other words, with, the, with these pristine environments, we've tried to set creation in a picture of a pristine state. We've tried to set the church in a, in a state of being pristine and therefore we strive to that ideal. And sometimes those ideals, and often those ideals, they falter. And the reality is that we're trying to, to mention this, this morning is that wherever we look, whether it's ecologically or environmentally or politically or individually, socially, theologically, there are, there are things that are falling apart. And, um, and so we've, we've tended to, um, to make God our image without actually engaging, realising that God has called us into a relationship with him that's not idealised, but it's a real relationship. It actually is Monday. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. You know, it's all, it's every day of the week that God is at work within us and our living hope is with us. He's right next to us while we sleep, while we wait, while we do our sport, while we, you know, wherever we're doing, while we work. God is at work in us, bringing his living hope to us because he's with us personally. He's standing right beside us, walking with us. I remember going out in the past with Peter on the beat, you know, with street prostitutes, you know, and going into some of these places, notorious places, which Peter would go to reach people that had lost their way in life. And, um, and you know, God was there. God was with Peter. I was amazed at the provision of God. Peter was giving hope. Peter and Dot were giving hope to people that were, that were broken and that lost their way. And I remember, you know, talking to a guy in, in a bar with Peter and, uh, and, and just talking to him about his life. And he, as a young man, he was saying, I'm dying. You know, I'm dying of AIDS. And, and yet I know, I know about God. And I know the way I've been living has been wrong, you know. But, I, but I, you know, he knew what was right. He knew. And, and so when we go and share the, the news of Christ, we bring that hope. So we, we're called into this life. It's a transformational life of meaningfulness. Fulfilling our hearts, filling our hearts and homes. So we're called to be transformative in our society, in our, in our homes. We're also called to be transformational in the community of as a part of the community of Jesus followers, modeling God's alternate economy in society. And when this is a word that's um, uh, I've sort of been growing to love and, and learn about is like economia, uh, in which uh, the word economy comes from. And it's speaking about the home, speaking about family, it's speaking about life around you, the way oikos, the, the way life works around you. And, and as we look you know, into it, the economic world, it's being destroyed. Instead of being a place of well-being and prosperity, we see the world around us turning into being a, a place of destruction and disappointment. Uh, but God wants us to be part of, and as a church, to be transformational in that process. 
And one of the, the probably a, a, a little thing we can do is, is go out this, this, um, this Christmas. Go out during Advent. Go out either with joining Lynn uh, on, the, on the streets there um, uh, on Friday evenings. And actually Lynn goes right up to Christmas. They, they're going to have one right on the, on the Friday before Christmas as well uh, in, in, in the in city there. But um, we, we need to make opportunities in our, in our time frame to share this good news and to bring hope and life to others. And then lastly, redemptively transformational influence in our world in every sphere possible, socially, politically, economically, and so on. In every area of life, we're called to be transformers. I don't know, uh, my son-in-law likes the movie Transformers. He's in his late 30s. Um, <laughs> he's a computer nerd. Uh, but, um, yeah, we are called to be Transformers. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> So therefore it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. To them, that's us, I hope it's us, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. And it says in, in Romans uh, and I just want to, before we go into, into Romans, um, I just want to read a little bit of uh, Maltman and Kelvin. And uh, so Maltman says, God equips us with the power of his spirit in all struggles so that we are never conquered or destroyed. I love that. This presence of the invincible power of the spirit is a divine promise, and as such, it is operative in the struggle of faith. We often sing about the struggle of faith. Believers are not invincible in themselves, we know this, don't we, but only in the fellowship with Christ and with the Holy Spirit. The bond of this fellowship between God and those who belong to God is unbreakable. Love it. Because we are held fast in faith. And so Calvin can say, not only but in all the attacks that seek to disturb the mind of the pious person, he nevertheless, nevertheless emerges again and again from the abyss of the contestations and remains at his post. But also, no matter how many their fears may be, we deny that they ever fall away or deviate from the certain confidence that they have gained by the mercy of God. Hallelujah. Do you like that? And that's part of the living hope we have. And if I was to share one thing this morning, it's that through the Holy Spirit, through Christ, that we worship this Christmas and that we celebrate this Christmas the Holy Spirit has been enabled to come and to live in us. 
and therefore birth within our hearts and minds, the Holy Spirit brings a hope that is invincible. It's insuppressible. It's irresistible. It's an amazing hope. I was just talking to, uh, to Andrew before, wherever Andrew is. Um, and just about, he was just noticing as he often, in his work as, as a nurse, as an educator, um, how often people wonder what it is about him that's so amazing and, uh, and that's so different and they just can't put their finger on it. And that's what it is. It's Jesus in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Another Romans uh, verse is not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Hallelujah. And so as we press through, as we work through the challenges of life and the disappointments of life, and as we work through the disappointments and the challenges of this world around us, then as we process it through Christ, he builds character. It's all gain. It's all good. It actually builds for a future, for a good future in this life and in the life to come. And therefore, um, Paul Again, says the Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit again. The amazing power of God's Spirit to, to brim over with hope through our lives. And that's probably one of the most exciting things we can have. Imagine... You being invincible in every situation, no matter how rotten, terrible, horrific it may be. To know that in the midst, God is with you. And he, as a living hope, is actually giving you a confidence and ability, love, life and faith in the middle of that circumstance. So that you are not smitten by that, because even death is not a worry to you because you have eternal life, because Christ is coming, his kingdom is coming. And because we know the vision of Isaiah that the end is a beginning. The end of this world is the beginning for the eternal world that God is going to recreate at his return. So we look with amazing hope and it's a reality. We are born again to a living hope uh, in, in 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's like you have, you've got an account, you've got an inheritance, you've got a house, it's on a hill, it's on a mountain, You've got a, a bank account and it's there and nothing in this life can rob you from that account. God has actually put that account there and, and as a proof of it, he's given us the Holy Spirit, a living hope, a living witness that the eternal 
that our eternal home, our eternal mansion, our eternal wealth, our eternal inheritance is him. So the more we invest in that, the more we will, we will have to look forward to. And so that's why Jesus talks about the, remember the unjust steward who goes and rips off his master and he does a thing that was pretty popular or pretty uh, clever in the day. He, he, he benefits himself, but also, I didn't realize this, that in that parable of the unjust steward who goes and cuts the debts of, of, um, of, of his master, uh, and so that what, what he does, he also puts his master in the good books with God because he's actually uh, often in business. There was a lot of ripping off that happened there. And just like Zacchaeus went and he gave everything away, didn't he? Because he had, he had made a good stash there. The first thing he did was give it up. And so what Jesus is saying in that is as we sow in the invisible, as we sow into people's lives in a way that will help them come into the kingdom of God and have eternal life, as we sow in mercy and love and faith and hope, as we sow in people's lives, then an inheritance will be waiting for you. In fact, people will be running to greet you because of the way you have lived and you have lived in hope. Hallelujah. I'm going. Um, so it goes on, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what God has ultimately prepared for us is going to be revealed in the future. I'm just looking in, the, in terms of faith. Calvin's concept of faith is always determined by the certainty of hope. And you might be just asking, where does faith and hope Relate now. Why I'm mentioning Calvin, because he was one of the, he's the forerunner of of Christian theology today, and his focus was on hope. So a theology of hope was something he looked into in the uh, 1500s. So um, if I was if I'm correct, um, Calvin's concept of faith were always determined by the certainty of hope, since it is certain that God doesn't deceive us. In our hopes, hope must not be full of doubt. It is certain that God cannot do otherwise than correspond to our hopes, which are based on his own word. That's the importance of the word of God. It's the promise that we hope in God through. And this is why faith and hope are reciprocally related. Faith believes that eternal life is given to us it takes hold of the present mercy of God in God's word, while hope expects that what we are now in a hidden manner through God's word will one day be fulfilled and revealed. Praise God. In this, we, you re, let's read this together. Uh, in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What an amazing reward. I'm going to ask Meg now just to play a second video. This is, um, this is Athel Alcorn, um, and he's uh, 90 years old. And yesterday uh, morning, um, Leanne and I were visiting Nan, Leanne's mum. And who should be waiting in the foyer but Athel Alcorn? Now, Athel is 90 years old. He's just raised, I think it's... Uh, 19,000, I think it was a bit more than that. But um, walking 300, and this was three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, yeah. And, uh, and he walked all the way from his place in Brookfield to 70 Mile Rocks to visit my mother-in-law. Yeah, and he, not only that, he visits a whole lot of bunch of people. He's also um, legally blind. And, uh, and so he can see... He sees in the fuzz. <laughs> so he didn't recognise us very easily this time. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm sorry the sound isn't there. That's his son, who plays an amazing uh, tenor oboe. <laughs> um, anyway, um, we'll, just, we'll just close on that. But I want to tell you about Athel. Athel, um, his wife, passed away a number of years ago. He was, uh, him and his... Uh, Wife Estal were uh, among the closest of friends to um, Leanne's family. And uh, Athel, uh, at a number of years ago, at the age of 87, walked the Kokoda Trail. And uh, he's the oldest person. He was on television. Uh, he'd, he'd walked that. And uh, he, he was given a mug, a golden mug. That His, his story was that his dad... Um, Went, into, went to war as a 16-year-old, so he lied, and he got in. He actually lived through World War I, but came back and, uh, and obviously married. Uh, but um, such was the torment of going through the war that he took his life. And so Athel grew up without a father. And uh, Athel was the first baby born at Bundaberg Hospital. There we are. He, um, he is, he's an amazing guy. He, he was Leanne's youth leader. And he was the first person to ask Leanne to pray at the age of 14. And it was profound that Athel had the perception to ask Leanne to pray. And it launched her into her Christian life, that, that request. Athel hasn't stopped. He's 90. He hasn't stopped. And the hope within him is stronger now than when I first met him over 40 years ago. So that's amazing. And since that time in the old days, the Baptists, they didn't struggle with the Holy Spirit. But now he's filled with the Spirit and he's evangelizing people wherever he goes. He goes over to Hummingbird House um, every week. In fact, he did a lot of the, the fundraising for Hummingbird House which um, some of us will know, the Quilliams who started that, uh, from, from, originally from Nexus. 
But um, uh, he goes over there and he talks to people. He's 90 years old. He can't see, but he walks and he catches buses and trains and things like that because he's got a living hope within him. Doesn't that inspire you? It inspires me. It inspires me to try and keep fit so that when I'm 90, I'll have the same living hope working through me. You know, there's a, anyway, I won't get into that. <laughs> he kept himself physically fit. Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'd be challenged to, to work at that, to keep ourselves not only physically fit, but spiritually fit, emotionally fit, that we may be people filled with hope in such a way that we become transformative right through our lives, right until should the Lord tarry, you know, we, we, um, we pass away. We're going to break for communion now. And um, I want you, if you could uh, get hold of your uh, cup. Thanks, Van, yeah. I love this um, amazing, I've done a lot of Bible this morning, so I um, uh, hope, hope you're not overflowing. <laughs> um, in Ephesians, Paul goes on, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world, that's the way I was, hopeless. In fact, without Christ, I am, I could say I'm the most hopeless person I know. Um, and uh, hopelessness is something that is a real thing uh, for every human being. But when you find Jesus, you find out really how hopeless you were. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what we celebrate when we drink. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity, in place of the two, making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's the good news. Jesus has already killed the hostility. And he came and preached peace. It says, through him... We have both access by one spirit to the Father. So then we're no longer strangers, no longer aliens, no longer wondering who we are anymore, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple. We're coming back to the temple. In the Lord, in Him, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God 
by His Spirit. Don't you love the Bible? Wouldn't you like to read it more? Oh dear, I'm challenged. Let's, let's remember this morning that we are His people. We have a mountain. We have a temple. It's God Himself. We have a future. We have a hope that cannot be taken away. It's a living hope. It's a true hope. It's based on absolute truth. All, everything we see and know will pass away. But as it says, my words remain forever. God is true to his words. Let's be people so filled with this hope that our wives, our husbands, our children, grandchildren, people around us, they'll think, what on earth has happened to him or her? What on earth has revived them this Advent? Hallelujah. Let's be renewed in this hope and share it. It's good news. To some people, it'll stink. That's what the Bible says. But to others, it'll be the sweet smell of salvation. Let's take the bread. Thank you, Father, for your Son and His body given for us. Thank you for the cup, your blood shed for us, that we might be reconciled, that we might be a reconciled people. And if there's anything that we have against anyone, if there's anything that we're out of sorts with anyone, God, I'm just praying for grace that reconciliation might happen. Lord, that steps might be taken for reconciliation. I'm praying, Lord, that we will not be known as a people of war or as a people of aggression, but be known as peacemakers, be known as a people of hope that bring life and hope and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Look together for my future and for my good. You make all things work together for your glory and for your name. You make all things work together. For my future For my good You make all things Work together For your glory sing for a little while and um, just occurs to me as, you, as Clem was uh, saying that there's so much of um, hope I think we can summon optimism in our own strength, I think I can be optimistic on myself but hope is actually about my proximity to the Lord, it really is the work of the Spirit so we're just going to spend a little bit of time and drawing close to the Lord and asking my prayer is that, that he might deposit hope in us that we would be like Paul says in Romans, those that overflow with hope. It's pretty good. Room full of people going into our world overflowing with hope. 
I can do optimism. I need some help by the Spirit for hope. Uh, but I think God loves to answer that prayer. So we're going to worship for a while.